This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant. Later, Kentucky Auditor Mike Harmon on some of his recent findings when it comes to your tax dollars and the security of information. But first, he's been the president of UK now for nearly a decade. He's facing one of the biggest challenges of his presidency, and for that matter, for a generation. This weekend, students are moving back into their dorms, and COVID-19 is, uh, of course, still out there, so some intensive safety protocols are underway. Will that be enough? And how will fall sports, including football, go forward in the middle of a pandemic? Dr. Eli Capilouto is here to talk with us about this very unusual school year. Good morning, sir. Thank you very much. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. You know, we are all living history. We're very aware of that. We're living through a very challenging time as well. Your thoughts as students are moving back onto campus uh, this weekend and you prepare for uh, what is going to be, in some ways, a very extraordinary semester. It is going to be extraordinary. Uh, and you use the word prepare. We really started preparing the day we sent students home in March. Um, recognizing we were going to have to see a reinvented normal move-in will be entirely different than it has been in previous years. Uh, but we started on that day. We ask ourselves every day, um, you know, did we care? Will people look upon us and say, did they care and answer affirmatively? So I know we care. University of Kentucky is full of heart and mind. We used our best assets, our people and ideas, came together um, with a comprehensive plan that included um, certainly taking advantage of the investments we've made in our campus in 6 million new and renovated square feet of space, introducing um, what we hope will be those uh, uh, things that, that make people adhere to wearing the mask, uh, proper hygiene, uh, cough and sneeze etiquette, and physical distancing. We can do that better uh, given our physical space. For instance, every student will have their own room, mm -hmm. which is a helpful uh, way to stop the spread of this virus. Are you confident, sir, about, uh, you, you know, you have a very ambitious effort going on to test every uh, student before they start. There uh, have already been some positives, we know that, and, and they have apparently been removed from the general population uh, for now. Uh, are you confident that that is the kind of precaution that uh, will, will make a campus uh, safe? Uh, using the experts we turn to, that was the recommendation. Many colleges are not doing that. We are. Uh, we're not only just testing, um, but you have to trace. If somebody is positive, they immediately need to get into isolation. And then we have built our own contact tracing uh, command center. Every person they've come in contact with, we're going to get in touch with and make sure they go into quarantine for 14 days, uh, be tested if necessary. So, you know, we're doing. 1,500 students roughly a day. Mm -hmm. uh, we get that results. We take it through our contact tracing system. Thus far, I feel pretty good about how quickly we've been able uh, to react because it's containing the virus that's important. All right, President Capilouto, you know, you can control to a large extent what happens on campus. 
but are you concerned that students uh, you know might socialize go to get-togethers uh, maybe go to bars and so forth and places out in the community and get in contact with this or spread this uh, to places uh, uh, off campus well I'm worried about spreading both ways uh, from the community to the campus and the campus to the community uh, Governor Bashir has done an excellent job in teaching us a lot about public health and what a positivity rate means. He has certainly looked at 5% as a number we have to pay attention to, keeping those numbers down. Um, that's one we're watching as well. Uh, well. Kentucky overall is at 5% or around that number. We have to work together both in the community, on our campus, with all of our students, faculty, and staff to protect one another. Our health depends on everybody else's health. So yes, we're gonna be quite rigorous in monitoring uh, what goes on on our campus, what's going on in community, uh, and we're expecting a lot out of our students. Uh, this generation needs to answer a call, and uh, we're gonna certainly work with them so that they will answer in the positive. One of the things is that they're having to, in many cases, take uh, their classes online. Uh, you're trying to do as much in person as you can, but uh, uh, some of them, as you know, have pushed back uh, in uh, uh, paying the full tuition and then uh, being told that they're finding out that their class is going to be more online than they thought. Uh, what do you have to say to them? Well, we want to be transparent with our students to let them know, um, you know, which courses will either be fully online or hybrid, which is a mixture of in-person and uh, a digital means, and then some that are fully online. Uh, we're working with every student to make sure um, that they are accommodated in the way that they expect. And so we certainly understand it takes more work to work with them. Uh, we're on top of it. And uh, we put a ceiling on how much students could be um, charged uh, regardless of the credit hours they're taking so we're trying to take uh, some of that yeah. uh, cost uncertainty uh, out of all of this and at the same time uh, we have to protect our faculty and staff that support students what will be your guideline your guidepost uh, if you determine that uh, you're going to have to retreat from this uh, plan uh, some, uh, I know right now the plan is to try to get uh, the students on campus and get them through this semester. Uh, what will you be watching uh, to determine if you can continue that at pace? Sure. Well, first of all, this testing uh, that we're doing is going to give us a great insight. Also, everyone, including all our faculty, staff, and students, will have an uh, app on their smartphone. Every day you'll need to attest to see if you have any of the uh, symptoms associated with COVID. Uh, if you do, we're trying to make it easy to be safe. Uh, we can tell you, you know what, remain in your residence because we went ahead and wired nearly all of our classrooms for uh, two-way communications. You'll be able to stay where you are, not worry about missing a particular lecture, don't take the risk of coming in, of infecting anybody, and be able to participate in that class. So those are the kinds of things uh, uh, we're doing. Yeah. We will monitor uh, those to see what kind of symptoms, and given our command center, we'd be able to see, for instance, if they were springing up in a particular residence hall. 
we may immediately go in and test. I also hope that in the near future, uh, the type of tests we're able to use, what's commonly referred to as point of care testing, is available so you can get quick turnaround. Uh, that's a hope and I hope that supply line works. We always uh, are looking into that uh, kind of opportunity. And then importantly, uh, something I check almost every morning, and that is what kind of capacity do we have at our hospital? And also I know the state and all of us are looking at the capacity we have in all our hospitals, uh, given that if we were to have a wavelet or a surge, can we have the beds and the intensive care units uh, so that people can be treated? And it tends to be those who are older or who have um, health complications that make them more prone to the serious consequence of this illness. Right. Let me, let, let me go there with you. UK Healthcare uh, uh, recently been ranked the state's top hospital. Uh, you've been very busy there during this uh, pandemic. Uh, are you ready for what's to come? And is the, uh, is the hospital in, the, in, in good financial shape given uh, all that's going on? Well, first of all, we prepared for what we thought was a surge. We even put up in two weeks a field hospital with 400 additional beds. We have surge capacity within our hospital. If we had to do something like that, we could certainly turn to it. We know how to do it now. It turns out that surge did not come again. That's because we all behaved appropriately and uh, we were shut down in many respects. But we also know we've got to live in this COVID world. And if we're living in it, we've got to do it as safely as possible. Yeah. Uh, yes, we have surge capacity. Right now we monitor it every day. The SEC plans a 10-game a, a uh, schedule uh, right now, all conference uh, season. That means no Kentucky-Louisville game. Uh, but is it reasonable, do you think, Mr. President, to conclude that uh, this contact sport of football can be played this fall? Uh, certainly, it poses challenges. Uh, we are following uh, the experts in terms of uh, medical care and precautions. We work with the uh, NCAA uh, medical group, chief medical officer. Uh, the conferences have outstanding uh, medical teams. So we're implementing all of those, but we want all of our student athletes to know this. Uh, we're gonna share everything with you. If you feel like you wanna sit out, your scholarship is not in jeopardy. And we're working with the NCAA to make sure you don't have to worry about losing eligibility. We're working those rules out. I will do that soon. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel like the tight monitoring we're doing uh, is teaching us a lot. We're learning from basketball, uh, NBA basketball. We're learning from baseball, and we'll certainly learn from the NFL. Uh, but we've got to be open uh, to be flexible for any kind of disruption. Well, I'm sure that's comforting for the student athletes to know uh, that uh, the precautions are taken and that uh, it should be that their uh, scholarships are safe. You know, this, uh, Mr. President, has been a historic year in so many ways. This week, you unveiled a plan for more diversity and inclusion on campus, and you've put some real hard dollars uh, into this effort. Uh, you have said that UK needs to face up to some realities. Uh, what do you expect people will see here? Well, we recognize that if we're to overcome many of the micro 
that result in macro uh, challenges, we need to get many people involved. Uh, so we're trying to create a process, our diversity, equity, and inclusion led by Dr. George Wright, our Vice President for Institutional Diversity, to have a big tent, big table, get the best ideas we can, and act on them quickly. Uh, so one of the things we've been working on for a good while uh, was this joint research opportunity with the NAACP and our College of Education. We we're fortunate to announce that uh, this week. We also were working with our uh, Black uh, Studies um, faculty in setting up a Commonwealth Institute. We got that started. But I'm very excited about our UNITE uh, research program because that is going to offer an opportunity uh, for every college and department uh, to participate in these activities, uh, to uncover and overcome uh, what has held us back too long, and we have got to meet our promise. Um, that's our responsibility to our campus, to our society, and to the Commonwealth. UK President Dr. Eli Capaluto, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it, and we've sort of covered the waterfront on topics, in the, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Stay safe. Thank you. Same to you. And stay with us. We're coming back with Kentucky's State Auditor Mike Harmon next on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Glad to have you here on WKYT. State Auditor Mike Harmon's office has been busy in recent months despite the pandemic. In fact, some of how money is being spent to respond to coronavirus is one of the things the auditor is keeping an eye on. He's also looking into data breaches within the state's overwhelmed state unemployment system. And this week, he referred information that he found about a city spending to other state and federal authorities. Mike Harmon is serving his second term as Kentucky's state auditor. He is a former state representative, and during his tenure, Harmon's mantra has been, follow the data. Mr. Auditor, thank you. We appreciate uh, very much you being with us today. Glad to be here today in these unique circumstances, Bill, that we face. Aren't they, though? Uh, first of all, uh, what can you tell us, uh, Mr. Auditor, about the findings regarding the city of Sayersville? Yeah, we had had some tips about some concerns about how the Sayersville tourism dollars were being spent. So we went in and did a basic review. And, and uh, yesterday we issued a, a letter with two findings. Uh, you know, one of the findings we looked is how tourism dollars were uh, being managed and oversaw. And one of the things we found was that uh, the mayor, well, one, the tourism commission had not, that's supposed to oversee the dollars, had not met since 2009. And uh, we, when we were looking at it, we also found that uh, the, uh, two of the mayor's sons were being uh, paid for out of that particular uh, fund, the tourism fund. And one of his sons, who was also working for the local housing authority, uh, actually what looked as appeared as if he was double billing because we found overlap of 148 instances for a total of 224 hours where he had billed the housing authority and the city when he was on contract with has the city. There, has there been a response uh, from the mayor of the city? Um, in this particular one, since we issued a letter instead of a full-blown audit, uh, we didn't have a response incorporated into our letter. However, it's my understanding that he has replied uh, to some of the, the local press. Uh, I think the Herald-Leader may have had a couple of comments from him and maybe some of the other 
uh, stations that had a comment or two from them. Uh, the Tourism Commission, uh, you said, has not met since 2009. I mean, how, how does that happen? Is, is it clear how frequently uh, these uh, local boards and commissions should meet? Yeah, I'd have to go back and actually review the legislation to see how often the, the, the specifically they're supposed to meet. There are rules and guidelines within the law about how they're supposed to be formed and what their duties and responsibilities are. But, you know, it's quite evident that they are supposed to be overseeing the tax dollars. If you're going to levy a tax, then, uh, you know, for tourism, then based on the way that it's structured. Now, the one thing we did find was, uh, you know, one of our recommendations was that the mayor uh, should make sure that the commission begins to meet and if need to appoint, to actually appoint uh, new members if they're no longer active. And so he appointed four, their ordinance uh, had actually called for five and uh, in, if reviewing the statutes, it looks as if they're supposed to be seven. But one of the things we do know for sure is they are supposed to oversee the tax dollars that were being spent for tourism. And from what we could tell, about half of what was being expended out of those tax dollars was actually just going to normal governmental items. We only looked at, we looked at 63 samples to yeah. make that determination. Now, that restaurant money tax is supposed to go strictly for tourism expenditures, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to, that's supposed to generate revenue to help bring other people into the community to generate more revenue for the community and therefore, um, you know, eliminating some of the burden on the local taxpayers in that community. About 10 years ago, there was a series of eye-opening audits uh, under former auditor Kurt Llewellyn about how mm -hmm. some folks who take positions on boards and commissions and are appointed by the, the mayors and the local governments, uh, maybe the, in the case of the county, the judge executive, sometimes don't realize the responsibilities they've taken on. They see it as an honor. They see it as something they'll uh, do for the, you know, show up at some meetings for the, for the uh, locality and, and that's right. that. But they have serious responsibilities. Do you think uh, that folks on those boards and commissions uh, understand that? Uh, I'm not sure about that specific board. I'm sure that there are boards out there where people, just as you said, uh, believe that it's an honor and don't realize that most boards that are formed are actually working boards. So, you know, I would encourage anybody if they're looking to be on a board, hopefully people are willing to serve, but certainly realize that there are uh, responsibilities whenever you are on a board. This pandemic uh, certainly has been uh, surreal, uh, a time for all of us, as we were, uh, were talking about uh, earlier. Uh, you know, the economy went from prosperous to a deep recession, this historic high unemployment, and Kentucky's unemployment system obviously was overwhelmed with the historic requests for help. And there have been at least two data breaches uh, that we now know about. Uh, what are your concerns there? Well, you're really concerned, especially in a time when everybody's already struggling. Identity theft is, uh, you know, uh, very real and very serious to individuals. And certainly if they're already struggling financially, not sure if they're going to be able to be able to make their bills and then someone steals their credit or still even, you know, takes their bank accounts. So it is a concern. And obviously our biggest concern was uh, there was a law passed in 2014, the former auditor here, Auditor Adam Edlin, uh, championed a uh, bill in 2014. I actually happened to be in the House at that time. Uh, in uh, House Bill 5, I believe the number was. And on that particular bill, uh, if you have a data breach, 
especially government data breach that you are supposed to notify the individuals as well as there's certain uh, responsibilities in reporting to the attorney general to the auditor's office and uh, the attorney general had became aware uh, that uh, it appeared that there might have been a breach uh, almost a month earlier a while back and uh, they reached out to uh, the governor's office and uh, they identified that there was in fact a breach and then they notified us but that was 30 days past the breach uh, a lot of damage can be done during that time so it's very important if there is a breach to make sure the proper notifications is done so that we can properly address it. Mr. Ovder at a time like this when uh, money is being spent fast this uh, under emergency declarations uh, do, are, do you have some concerns that some of the safeguards in in how that uh, money is being accounted for uh, may go by the wayside? We do have concerns. Uh, our staff has been very proactive in working with officials and informing um, certain ad hoc groups that are kind of studying. Uh, some of the money that was pushed out very quickly early on had very little guidance, and so we've been working with them to try to provide as much guidance. Some guidance has followed, uh, but you, know, you have to be very careful because a lot of these officials uh, may or may not realize that there will be responsibilities and typically any time that they expend in any given fiscal year 750,000 or more of federal dollars in addition to having their standard audit they uh, will also be subject to what's known as the single audit which is just the way for the federal government to kind of confirm that money's being spent are in fact being spent the way that they were intended you uh, also made a criminal referral when you looked into a program within the Lawrence County Attorney's Office. Uh, media reports indicate there was a federal activity uh, apparently used there to gather information. Can you tell us uh, anything new about that? Uh, not anything new other than what's already being reported in the press. Obviously, we did, a, uh, did an audit we released, uh, I guess, a few months ago about the uh, county attorney's uh, we, we did an initial sampling when we had a previous audit that we looked at of 16 county attorneys. Then we narrowed that down to nine based on that as well as some other tips. And uh, we found we had nine findings, but three that were kind of major. Uh, one of them you referred to as the Lawrence County attorney. Uh, he had paid over 100, I think it was $134,000 in bonuses, but about 94,000 or 94% of that, excuse me, of that uh, went to his wife over a two year period. And uh, so it was a little over 120, I think it was $126,000. So as part of that, we went ahead and referred that, uh, you know, to the FBI and some other agencies, uh, just so that they can review to make sure that everything was correct in that regard. Now, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, a few seconds left here. Just wanted to ask you, how, how do you uh, conduct audits in this situation, given, uh, you know, that it is, is difficult to, to get at the, in there in those offices and dig through records when the, the requirements of social distancing and, and so on are in place? Sure. I mean, it's been tough, uh, but we were very aggressive from the very beginning because safety is the utmost importance uh, for our staff and our team. And so what we did uh, initially was... We had already having some of our people be able to telework from home one day a week. So we were able to have the majority of our staff telework from home. Uh, we reached out to the officials that we were auditing and asked them to package as much as they could and either mail it to us or uh, email us the information so that our staff could be reviewing it. And recently, since things have kind of loosened up a little bit, uh, we're still working with the officials. Uh, we 
we have a certain protocol we follow. We add, we, we also request our people to follow any protocol the local officials might have. And then we uh, have them to the best of their ability, package the information up, put it in a room uh, by itself. And then our individuals will go and review the data and take what they need and go back home and review it. So the safety is the utmost and we do the best we can to make sure that's taken care of. State Auditor Mike Harmon, thanks as always. We appreciate you uh, giving us an update. Thank you, Bill. Really appreciate you. Stay with us. We're coming right back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're back on Kentucky Newsmakers, and we are less than 100 days away from the presidential election. And this pandemic continues to impact almost every aspect of our lives. Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, explains. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. COVID-19 again spiking across the nation, turning the presidential race on its head. We now know Vice President Joe Biden will not accept his party's nomination in Milwaukee at the Democratic National Convention. Meanwhile, President Trump's poll numbers are suffering. According to a Real Clear Politics poll average, nearly 60% of Americans disapprove of the way he's handling the pandemic. Real Clear Politics also shows President Trump trailing Vice President Biden by seven percentage points. The White House is not the only thing at risk. Republicans could potentially lose the Senate. The GOP controls the chamber by a razor-thin margin, 53 to 47 seats. And this year, the Republicans are defending 25 of the 38 Senate seats in play. One Senate race getting a lot of attention this week is in Kansas. GOP leaders are breathing a sigh of relief after Tuesday's Republican primary. Congressman Roger Marshall beat polarizing conservative and former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach for the party's Senate nomination. Many Republicans worried Kobach, who already lost a gubernatorial race, would alienate center-right voters and jeopardize the Republican-held seat. Even Democrats viewed Kobach as a more beatable candidate. But now, Marsha will face off against State Senator Barbara Bollier in the general election. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. Well, that's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning, and you make it a good week ahead.